This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Before we begin digging into the Word this morning, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to give all of us ears to hear and to give me his ability to communicate clearly and with his power this morning. Lord, I ask that you would open all of our ears this morning to hear what you want us to hear. I pray that your word would come alive, that it would jump off the pages, and that it would become a reality in each one of our lives. Holy Spirit, minister to each heart, each mind, And I pray for clarity and communication. And I pray for your anointing to communicate your word with power. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles. And I want to encourage you every time we get together, bring your Bible with you to the house of the Lord. Daniel chapter 3. Ever since Satan himself rebelled against his creator and decided that he wanted worship, there has been an ongoing battle where the enemy desires to receive the worship that God deserves. And God, who rightly deserves all of our worship, says that he will not share his glory with anyone else. In Exodus chapter 20, God clearly communicated with his people that he desired an undivided focus of worship. In chapter 20, verse 4, he says, you must not Make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now, when you and I came to know the love of God and we realized that Jesus gave his life for us, And we made the decision to surrender our hearts to him. There was a transformation that happened that was immediate. And that was a a what we call positional sanctification. That through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been paid for. And when God the Father looks down upon us, he no longer counts our sins against us. And I'm so grateful for that. 
for every single one of us who have lied, who have stolen, who have harbored pride in our hearts. All of those things and so many more are completely opposite of the character of of our God. And those sins have no place in the presence of a perfect God. You and I, without the intervention of the one who would stand in the gap for us, would have absolutely no way to be able to access the presence of a holy God. We could hope to get to heaven, but the truth is none of us deserve nor qualify to get to heaven. And so as we look at God, we see that he is perfect, and yet we are not. And he stepped out of the realm of heaven in the form of Jesus Christ and became man. When he became man, he put aside the benefits that he had in heaven so that he could relate to us and so that he could pay the price that was necessary for you and I to be able to have access to the presence of the heavenly father. In that instant, when we surrendered our life to the Lord, the Bible says that we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You and I became citizens of heaven. But while there was an instant transformation that occurs in the spirit because Jesus said that we could not access God's presence unless we were born a second time. Nicodemus needed a little bit of explanation on that and so Jesus clarified to him it was not being born in the natural a second time but being born in the supernatural, being born of the spirit. Being born of the Spirit is what allows us to have access to heaven. But you and I come into the kingdom of God at times with a lot of baggage. Habits that we developed when we were walking in sin that don't go away overnight. I wish they did. Words that we're so used to saying that are ungodly that our mouth has to be trained again to be able to speak words that honor God. Things that our hands used to do that dishonored God, our hands have to be trained again as citizens of the kingdom of God. Every member of our body has to be retrained. And that is the, the, the sanctification process that God works out over time in you and in me. We may not understand how that all works out. But I'm so thankful that as we follow God, God doesn't expect us to understand it all. He expects us simply to obey. And the transformation work is not you simply sitting down and calculating how you are going to become more like Jesus and doing it all in your own power and your mental ability. But rather you surrendering yourself to the Holy Spirit's work in you and getting to know God's plan and purpose for your life and surrendering all of you to God Honoring him for who he is, putting him in his place, and allowing him to do the changing work in your life. The transformation that God does in you 
is so much more than the transformation you try to do for yourself. Some of you can confirm the reality that you can try to set certain goals in your own power and fall very short of accomplishing the things that in your own willpower you set out to do. Because the truth is you and I are not strong enough. You and I are not smart enough. We fail and we fall short and we don't like to admit it. We like to think that somehow I failed before, I fell short before, but this time I'm going to be superhuman. That sin over there that took me down 20 times, I'm going to defeat it in my own strength this time around. Why? Because my willpower is stronger now than it's ever been. But that won't do any of us any good because we deceive ourselves to think that we are going to be victorious over the enemy by our own strength and our own willpower. And I love chapter 8 of Romans. And I encourage any of you, when you are in the battle between the spirit and the flesh, read Romans chapter 8. Because there we see that there is a battle that is going on inside every single one of us. Not just the unbeliever, but those who are Christ's property. There is a battle that is going on for the transformation of your life. And it all comes down to your surrender to acknowledging who God is in your life. And really the crux of the matter comes back to what happened when the devil rebelled against God. And it was simply this. The devil wanted to receive the worship that God deserved. Satan desired to be exalted above his creator. God said, that's not possible. You didn't create me, I created you. So how is it that you can expect to receive the worship that is only due to me. God is a jealous God. In the scripture that we just read, it says that I am a jealous God, Exodus 20, verse 5, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So here's where the rubber meets the road. When we desire to live victorious in our Christian walk, we must come before the Lord, and properly put him in his place. Because if we don't, then our willpower will always fall short to bring us to our next step in our Christian walk. And we'll find ourselves in a vicious cycle, constantly under sin that we cannot get victory in. I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God is strong enough. I'm so glad that the mind of God is wise enough to not only give us victory temporarily, but to set us on a path that we are able to overcome even sins and habits that have gripped our lives for years. My friend, you, in what you have walked in the past, does not need to define you any longer. You can live free by the power of the living God. And for you to be able to live free, one of the important steps is for you to put God in his proper place in your life. And that begins with genuine worship of who God is. Worship is acknowledging the worth of the God you serve. 
It's putting him in his rightful place. It's not giving him something just because he asked for it. He deserves it. For he is God. He is the creator of all things. What happens sometimes in our walk with God is we allow doubt to have a place in our life. And so we do not truly and fully worship God for who he is because we have these thoughts in the back of our mind that we do not defeat by the word of God. And they challenge the character of the God that we serve. And when that character is challenged, sometimes we are not well versed in the word of God. And so we allow that question to linger. And I remember when I was early in, in my walk with God, uh, there was a time when I was not fully committed to walking with the Lord. And one of the things that I identified in my life during that time was that I allowed doubts to be able to set up house in my mind. And I did not defeat them by the word of God. So they would just hang out. They wouldn't always pop up on the scene, but at the times when I was seeking to really know what God wanted me to do, those doubts were right there. And they kept me from full surrender. And so my worship when I went to church was not as genuine as it looked on the outside. You see, when you're singing and you're worshiping like this, that's what others see. But God sees what's going on in here. Your genuine worship to God has to come from here. And then it'll flow out of here, and it'll flow out of here. The enemy is vying for your worship. It's why God laid it out in the Ten Commandments. He says, I'm a jealous God, and I will not tolerate, what? Your affection. For any other gods. Now, for those of you who are, who are married or in a relationship, can you imagine if the person that you love said, you know, I really, really care about you, but just want you to know from time to time, you know, I'm just going to go with this other person and spend some quality time with them. So I just want to give you the heads up that, you know, this is going to be an open relationship. I hope you're good with that. Hope not tolerate that. God doesn't tolerate it either. And see, God wants you to know that just calling yourself a Christian does not guarantee that you are automatically giving God his worth-ship. You have to live that out in the way you make decisions. That's where the rubber meets the road. The life choices that you make determine whether God is on the throne in your life or whether you're just giving him words instead of actions. God won't tolerate our affection for any other gods. In fact, he goes so far to say, that he lays the sins of the parents and the children, the entire family is affected, and even children in the, fourth, in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey my commands. Friends, the decisions you make, especially for those of you who are parents in the room, the decisions that you make will affect your family, whether you like it or not. You can try to hide it. 
in the bedroom. You can try to hide it in other places uh, where you think that, oh, they haven't heard, they haven't seen. But the reality is it's not just simply whether they've heard or seen, but it is God who says that that sin will follow you generation to generation until that chain is broken in the power of Jesus Christ. That's why those who uh, give their lives over to alcoholism or drug abuse or immorality, that follows down the family line. That's the norm. Now, that doesn't mean that has to happen, but that's just in the natural, the norm. But only the power of God can break that. And the only way that's broken is when God gets put in his rightful place. The key question that I want to ask you today is, in what position do you have God in your life and in your home? Where is he placed? God desires to be front and center and to be honored by every single one of us in this room. When we say one thing and we do another, it does not honor our God. God desires genuine worship. Just thinking about it this week, how every statement that we make, how, no matter how high and lofty it may sound, it will be put to the test. Sometimes, whether it's in song or whether it's in prayer, we can say to God how much we adore him, how much we put him in his rightful place, how much we surrender to him, we can even sing the song like Walt was mentioning, I surrender all. But those words will always be put to the test. And at times it takes me back when I'm praying, when I think about that. To say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. That's a big statement. When I say, Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. That's a huge statement. When you say, God, I'm willing to cent centralize the plans of my life around what you want instead of mine, that's huge. That's no trivial statement. Friends, it's very important that you and I count the cost of following Jesus. Know what you're saying. Following Jesus was not intended to be a bandwagon. If it were, then the number of people heading to heaven and the number of people heading to hell would be reversed. But Jesus said the road that leads to eternal life is narrow. And there are few that find it. And the road that leads to destruction is broad. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, said many are on that road. You and I must do more than just come to church. We must do more than just sing along with the songs that are up here that are being sung. You and I must take God and put him in his rightful place. And sometimes that's very hard. It's easy when everybody around you is doing it. It's easy when it's the in thing to do. In fact, you'd feel out of place if you're not doing it around a whole group of people that proclaim their love for Jesus. But in Daniel chapter 3, we see the words of some young men who have made a commitment to God put to the test. 
The summary of this story is that the king at the time made a gold statue that was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura. Now, just to give you an idea, uh, this uh, from, from bottom to ceiling, from floor to ceiling is approximately um, about 30 feet. You're looking at a statue that was three times the height of this sanctuary. And this gold statue was set up in the plain of Dura, and he sent messengers to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Here we see the setting for a great test. A great test to determine whether or not hearts are committed to the Lord or whether it is simply words. Listen to these words from God in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9. In verse 6 it says, If you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. They will ask why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That's why the Lord has brought all these disasters on. Now, there happened to be three young men who had made a commitment that they would worship God by putting him in the right place. And this decree that was issued by the king was made for all the people there that were present. Verse 7 says, whatever their race or nation or language. And it says that all of them bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What they had done is they had taken this gold statue and said, we will make the gold statue front and center and we attribute worth to this statue. And so some of the astrologers went to the king and informed 
on the Jews, they said to the king, King, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, and the rest of the instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard the consequences. But they decided that it was not worth worshiping this false god. And so they chose not to bow down. Bowing down is a symbol of our respect, of our honor. Listen to these words from Psalm chapter 22. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Listen to this, Psalm 72, verse 11. All kings will bow before the Lord, and all nations will serve him. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 99, verse 5 says, Exalt the Lord, our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Psalm 138, I love this verse. Psalm 138, verse 2. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. When's the last time that you bowed low before the King of Kings? He deserves all of our honor and all of our respect. And while it is very appropriate for us to boldly approach his throne to find help in time of need, we must never forget that he is high, that he is lifted up, and that he is a holy God. And while it is very appropriate for us to lift our hands and to raise our heads because he is glory and the lifter of our heads. We don't need to be ashamed. We must also be willing to assume the posture of bowing low with our face to the ground for our God is holy. When you think of bowing, There may be certain things that come to your mind. All across this globe, 
five times a day, there are people who bow before a false god and place him front and center because the enemy is vying for worship. But you and I, who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, we must also recognize that we must give the true God the honor that is due his name. And while there are millions who daily bow before a false God, can you and I not bow before the one who gave his life for us? We live in many ways in a comfortable society. And at least at this point, for most of us here, we have not had to face the decision that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. The fury of the king who would throw them into the fire, the king was, un he, he couldn't believe what he saw. No doubt his, his, uh, his fury had always got him what he wanted in the past. And so he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, and he says, you know, maybe you misunderstood. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you didn't hear me correctly. So let's just go over this one more time. Did you happen to miss the part where I said that those who do not bow will be thrown into a fiery furnace? And the three Hebrew children said, oh, yeah, we heard that part. Believe me, we heard that part. But, oh, king, there's a problem. That statue didn't do anything for us. That statue can't even speak. That statue, it looks imposing. That statue looks Great, it looks tall, but our God is greater. And we absolutely cannot bow before a dumb, a deaf, a blind statue. We can't do it. And the king got enraged. He said, oh, so, so it wasn't that you didn't understand. You did understand. Oh, yes, sir, we did. But we simply cannot bow. For the one we worship is the one and true God. The one true God. King said, all right, well, we're going to have to deal with this because you're going to have to be made an example of. Because you see, if you three don't bow, then it, there may be someone else who kind of catches the courage. We don't want that happening. So we're going to crank up the heat a bit. In fact, go ahead, sirs, and just crank up that heat seven times more. Seven times, sir, you sure? That's getting a bit dangerous. Yes, seven times. And the Bible says that the fire was made so hot that when the king's workers just threw them in, 
they were burned. That's a hot fire. After he threw them in, he had to take a second look. What do I see? First of all, they look like they're not even being phased. Second of all, they were bound, and the only thing that's burned up is what was binding them. Thirdly, I thought I put three in there, but there seems to be a fourth man. Listen to this. This is in the king's own words. And the fourth one, verse 25, looks like a god. I wonder what triggered that for King Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar maybe didn't realize it, but he was an agent at the moment of the enemy. He was facilitating the plan and purpose of Satan. He was trying through his power and ability to get everybody's attention on worshiping a false god. Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't calculate it that way, but that's exactly what he was doing. Verse 26 says, Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. Now think about this for a moment. Just a little bit before, he was so furious he had the fire turned up seven times hotter. He hated the fact that these three young men would worship the one true God over the statue he had put so much time and effort into creating. And these are his words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Wow. What a turnaround. Come out. Come here. So they came out. They stepped out of the fire. Listen to this. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. Okay, now it gets better. You know what this king was like. These are his words. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command. That was him. They defied my command, he's saying, and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I, Nebuchadnezzar, make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into rubbles, heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted these three men to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Your faith will be tested. Are you ready? You see, during the whole time when there is no big statue that's going to compete with your God, life can go on as normal. I worship my God. 
you worship your God. And we just all get along worshiping the gods we want to worship. But see, the world has this perspective that it really doesn't matter which God you worship. You just choose one. As long as it gets you where you want to go, everything will be fine, and let's just all get along. But what they don't realize is there is a battle for worship. And it is the one true God versus many false gods who are not gods at all. But the enemy shows up in all kinds of shapes and sizes. But his main goal is to take the focus off of the one who actually created him in the first place. Because the angels were created by God. And then he rebelled. Satan had no business putting himself in the position he put himself in. And that's why he was cast out of heaven and one-third of the angels followed. So friends, this is where the rubber meets the road. Your worship of God really comes down to how are you going to live your life as it relates to God's expectations of you on a daily basis? When at your job, you're put in a situation where it's God or a false God, let's just say your job was on the line. It, maybe. For the sake of the income for your family, would it be fine just to bow down a little bit? You have to make that call. And you have to be willing to take a stand. You see, the Bible tells us that things are going to get more intense. As your pastor, I want you to be ready. God forbid that we have a situation where because we have become too comfortable in not being challenged in our faith, that we give in when the pressure's on. So as with anything, whether it's a sport or a job, you need to be prepared and you need to practice. I just want to encourage each one of you to know this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego their deep relationship with God did not simply start when the music started sounding and there was this call to worship the idol. It started long before then. They had already established the habit, not just positionally, although the position of your body can reflect the attitude of your heart. That's why the scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, willingly or unwillingly in the end, that's what's going to happen. But for some, it may feel uncomfortable. You need to feel very comfortable in a position of bowing before your God because He deserves it. And it's for Him. And I just want to challenge all of us. We can get so comfortable in our upright position that we feel a little uneasy going low for our God. But we need to be comfortably bowing low before the Lord, putting Him in His rightful position. Lord, I honor You.
I worship you. You are my God. And some may say, oh, it doesn't matter how you, what the position of your body is. It's where your heart is. The position of your body can help your heart out. That's why there are chains that can be broken when you obediently even lift up your hands. Do you know that's very biblical? Scripture talks about raising our hands. Moses, he raised his hands. And as he raised his hands, his team was winning. The Apostle Paul said, I would that men everywhere would pray with raised hands, without wrath or doubting. There's something that happens when you walk in obedience. You may say, well, what's really happening? I just got my hand raised. It's obedience. It's worship. You do what God asks you to do, whether you feel like it or not, and you allow God to do things that are so supernatural. But what happened? Why does it matter if I bow? Your body is helping your heart out get in a position of surrender and submission. People all around this world very willingly will bow before false, false gods. No qualm at all. And people who don't even believe in the same false god will defend it. Oh, they should bow. They should be able to bow wherever they want. Very good. So will I. Bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's more than a position of your body. It's a position of your heart as well. But I believe God wants all of us to honor him in the way that we live. You need to put God first in your time. You need to put God first in the things that he has given to you. You need to put God first in your relationships. And whatever the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, even during this message, do it. Because God honors those that obey him. He blesses those who come under his, his authority with his protection. I'm going to ask if all of us could just close ourselves in with God for a moment. And I want you to think of where God is in the position that you have placed him in your life. I mean, he's already God, but because you have a free will, you have a choice. You could... You could, you could kind of push him aside, and he won't force himself to be on the throne of your heart if you don't want him there. But if you're willing and you invite him, he said, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anybody opens, I will come in and I will share a meal, fellowship together, and I will live inside of you. It's what his Holy Spirit came to do. God desires for us to honor him. And I want Christian Life Center to be a church that honors Jesus. Not just with our words, but with our lives. And that if any difficult tests should come to us as a body, that we would be ready to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
I will not bow to any other God except the one true God. I believe that the Lord desires for us to come contrite before him. And here's what I want to do. Before we go our way, go out back into our jobs and what we're going to experience, I just want to give you an opportunity before we leave this place to bow before the Lord and to put him in his rightful place. And yes, I want to ask you if you would be willing to bend your knee and bow your head low. And so for the next few minutes, I want to invite you that this entire place, as Jesus said, my house, my Father's house, will be a house of prayer for all nations. I'm so glad for all the nations that are represented in this room today. The psalm says, all nations will bow before me. This is totally voluntary, so this is totally up to you. But for the next few minutes, I want to invite you to either turn around in your chair and bend your knee and somehow bow low with your head and your heart. And I want you in your own words to put God in his rightful place in your life. And if you've been walking in disobedience and you know some things God's been telling you need to change, you need to tell him during that time of prayer what you're going to do. You need to repent and say, God, help me to change. I'm going to obey first chance I get. Maybe it's something you can do right now. Maybe it's something you've got to do later. But get it right. And as you do, you're putting God in his rightful place. So right now, I want to invite you all across this room. You're welcome to go at your chair, but I also, for those who are bold enough, I want to open up this altar as a place for you to come and to bow low before the Lord. Maybe you'd like to simply come and kneel and bow before the Lord and surrender to Him. Pour out your heart and allow the Spirit of God to receive your honor today. And as you honor the Lord, God will bless you. So, without any fanfare, without any music, this is your call. This entire place, whether the altar or at your chair, is an open opportunity for you to bow before the Lord and put him in his rightful place. I love you, Lord, for you are my strength. You are my rock, my fortress, my savior. In you, I find protection. You are my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on you, for you are worthy of praise, and you saved me from my enemies. You reached down from heaven and rescued me. 
You drew me out of deep waters. You rescued me from my powerful enemies. You a lamp for me. God, you light up my darkness. Your way is perfect, and all your promises prove true. You are a shield for all who look to you for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories and show unfailing love to your anointed. Lord, we honor you today. We bow low, we bend our knee, and we confess that there is no God but you. We thank you that we can find refuge in you. You said that all who seek you will find you when they search for you with all their heart. If there's anyone here today that is seeking for a word that is in season for their life, maybe some changes that are coming up, maybe in their family, uh, maybe on their job, uh, Lord, uh, whatever it may be, I pray that even now, Holy Spirit, would you speak a word that is precise, and a word that will guide them in the way that they should go. Answer their prayers, O oh God, and may it be confirmed so clearly. If you're here this morning and your heart cries out for God, but you've never yet taken that step to ask Jesus to come in and to be the Lord of your life, this can be the very first day of a brand new life for you. Jesus said that when we are born of the Spirit, that then we may enter into the presence of God. Before we go our ways today, I do not want to miss the opportunity. If you have not already made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I desire to surrender my heart to God. I want my sins forgiven, and I want my name in the book of life. If that's you today, right where you're kneeling or sitting, would you just simply raise your hand? And I would love to pray with you. Believe God for a transformation in your heart and life today. If there's anyone, just simply raise up your hand. Be happy to pray with you. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if you're not ready, be sure that you get ready to meet God. One last call. Is there anyone who needs to make that decision? I never rush past this part because it's why Jesus came.